welcome to Collision Cast. I'm Anna Zek, editor of Thunderbender, and today we have a super exciting conversation with Kevin Rains. Kevin is a Thunderbender columnist. He is a longtime Thunderbender management conference speaker. He's also the owner of the Rains Car Star Group down in Kentucky and Ohio, a family-owned business that's celebrating its 50th year in business this year. We're kicking off a new series this month, and we're going to be talking about in the next few episodes the topic of burnout. If you were at our FBMC conference in September, we talked a lot about taking the lead and not letting circumstances define how we react and what our successes are. So that's going to be the topic for today's conversation with Kevin. Hope that you enjoy it. I kind of wanted to ask you um, if you're comfortable talking about it, but I was thinking like a couple years ago, like things were a lot more up and down for you. Like you had health problems, um, your and you weren't as sure what direction you were going to go in the business. And I was wondering, like, what what was your mindset like at that time? Did you experience burnout at that at that time? Yeah. You know, I I, I see burnout as something that's almost a like a cyclical pattern that it's not it's not for me a, a place where that I, I get to that point I get past that point and then I never revisit it again it's mm. almost like there's um, like many burnouts that happen and it's it's way more cyclical at least and as I look back over the last 18 years for me personally um, it's been something that I've had to kind of battle on a more consistent basis um, which again, as you, as you battle something, you hopefully can develop new strategies and, and fresh perspectives on how to go after it the next time it comes around. So I feel like I have gotten better at the cycle of being burnout and then kind of recovering from that quicker than I used to. Um, so I do remember some seasons that were, were very dark. I did have a lot of health problems at one point that took me out of the game. Um, but there's also like, there's, there's positive ways to, to look at that as well. So um, I don't want to have rose colored glasses because it truly is a difficult season. So for people who are in it, who may hear this, like, I want to acknowledge, like, it's painful, it's hard, it's mm-hmm. dark. And some of the things that came out of burnout for me were, I had to trust team members that I wasn't sure I could trust, but I had no other choice. And most of the time they stepped up way quicker than I thought that they could have uh, previously. So um, that's again, a small example, but I can remember a specific time when I, I had some back problems and I was laid up and I had a very young manager at the time. Um, and I didn't know how the business was going to survive without me, but you know, you got to dance with the girl that brought you is an old saying. So I had to dance with the girl that brought me and he's who was available. And I put my trust in him and coached him the best I could from my, my chair. Literally, I was in a chair for a number of months. Um, And he pulled it off and pulled me through a really dark, dark season. Um, And then went on to lead um, one of our shops from uh, probably about a million dollars up to two and a half million uh, before he moved to another, another store. Wow, that is incredible. Do you think that 
you know, you hear that a lot in the industry of owners not having a hard time kind of trusting their team, giving up the reins. Do you think that's something that's um, unique to our industry or do you think there's something to that's like human nature about it? Mm. Definitely human nature. I think that it is a common issue. I think in our industry, though, there is there's a depth to it that um, we're more prone to not want to give up the reins because a lot of people who started in this industry started as craftsmen who were very hands-on, very particular, mm -hmm. craftsmen and craftswomen, um, but they're very precise and they want things to look a certain way. They want things to be repaired a certain way. Um, so the tendency is way slanted, I think, towards micromanaging if you come from that technical background. For me, I dipped my toe in that when I was much younger, but I've spent most of my career on the estimating management and ownership side. And I see that as a bit of an advantage, um, even between my dad and I, very different models. He's one shop, he's 76 years old, he's there at 6.30 in the morning, every morning still still? Like, still at 76 pounding it out now he goes to he'll go to florida and take long breaks but when he's home he is at the shop at 6 30 working right alongside the guys if there's a better way to pull the frame he's going to let them know that he found that way 20 years ago and here's how <laughs> we do it here so he's that guy who's a classic micromanager but the plus side for him is he knows how to squeeze every ounce of efficiency and profit out of one location in ways that are mind boggling to me. I mean, high double digits on his net profit. I have never experienced the level of profit out of my shops that he does out of his, but I decided I'm going to play a different game. I'm going to go for more breadth and mm -hmm. scale. Um, but it's just very different. Like he could never understand why I wanted to add a second shop why I added a third shop, why I added a fourth. Like he just, every time he would question me, like, why would you want to add that level of complexity? And what I found happened is the complexity actually went down because as mm -hmm. I added shops, I was adding knowledge and resources from that business back into my overall portfolio of businesses. So I had uh, new talent, new skills, new learnings from each location, and I could afford to hire people to help me run those multiple locations or move people from one place to another or load level cars back and forth. So I saw all kinds of advantages that came with scale that from his perspective, it just looks like impossible because you cannot possibly micromanage five shops, which is exactly the point. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When you, you know, think back to, some of those hard times. Um, and I'm sure you've encountered these type of shop owners too, who have just been so beat down by yeah. the hard times. Um, how, how do you think people can kind of like fall in love with their business again, or with the industry and like find that passion again and reconnect with that? Hmm. I think one of the ways to kind of find passion for back for the business is to really evaluate what got you into it in the first place. So ask, why did you get started in that business? And are you hitting that goal? Was your goal to have more freedom of time 
and money? Did you want to spend more time with your family? Did you want to draw your family into the family business and then benchmark against those original goals and plans? I think sometimes burnout happens because we get off track with some of the original reasons that we got into this industry or into business in general in the first place. So as we veer away from that, like our gut, our spirit, our soul kind of intuitively knows like something's off here. And sometimes that's burnout is kind of just like a little bit of a warning flag, like, hey, pay attention to me um, and kind of get back in touch with why you got here in the first place. Another kind of counterintuitive answer for me has been to find hobbies. So when I was in my 30s, like no hobbies, like my, my life was my family and my work. And like, if I had any extra time left over that could go to a hobby, I'd go back to work. <laughs> I think in my 40s, late 40s, I started to learn like, you know what, like hobbies are actually really important and they kind of rejuvenate us. I love the word rejuvenate. It means to be made young again, to rejuvenate. Um, so I've tried to find things that make me feel young in other parts of my life. And then I bring that energy back into the business. For me, that was riding motorcycles. As a kid, I rode motorcycles. I love experiencing nature at high speeds. There's just something that happens to me. I call it my two-wheel therapy or my four-wheel therapy. Um, I just come back a different person than, than when I go out, when I ride motorcycles. When I turned 50, I took up uh, fishing again. I had kind of grown up fishing with my dad, gotten away from it, re-engaged it, found I had a real passion for it. Um, ditto with golf. I'm horrible at golf. I have no uh, misconceptions that I'm going to ever be good at golf. <laughs> it's fun to be outside walking around with a stick in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, shoot, what was I just going to say? I think another thing too is that and you mentioned this too, is like, there's certain seasons, I think, what in your work life, like where you do have to like grind it out or whatever. And then, and you're in growth mode, you're trying to get somewhere. But then there is also seasons where like, you can't always be doing that. You can't be burning the candles at both ends. But I think some people still get stuck in that mode where they never reach that next step. Or like we were talking about, like, I have a hard time reaching the prosperity stage mm -hmm. um, of their business life cycle. How do you think that you are finally able to, to get to that point? And how did things click for you that you were able to create sort of the career that you wanted actually for yourself? So I've told this story before, uh, even at Fender Bender conferences, but I have a friend who uh, owned 14 shops. And he told me once, and this is when I had one shop and I was thinking of going to two. He told me the hardest thing he ever did was run two shops. The easiest thing he ever did was run 14 shops. So again, it goes back to that scale idea. And I know not everybody is cut out for scale. Hopefully my other counter example of even my dad's shop and my sister, who's very much modeled her career after my dad's and squeezing the profit out of one location. She's doing fantastic. Like that is certainly one model to work within. But what I find with single store operators often is when a key person moves on, even for good reasons, and this is happening a lot as we, as we know in this time, um, there's been some key people leave her shop, my sister's shop, 
and my dad's shop. And it puts them into a little bit of a tailspin and mm -hmm. they have to fill that seat. Scale for me has allowed me to move people between shops and also to hire people with operational skills that I don't have that can help me integrate all my shops uh, together. So the answer for me in my career has been to scale. And I know that's not going to be true for everybody, but it's certainly played out that way for me as I move now into my early 50s. I'm finding that like scale has been a, a true gift uh, to me. Yeah, that's great. I think another thing that is that I've always noticed about you is that you I never hear you complaining about some of the difficulties in inherent with this industry of the different stakeholders, for example, that are involved. Like I never hear you complaining about insurance companies or um, about your shops being put in the middle. And I think a lot of people do get get stuck in that. And maybe it's an easy like entity to point the finger to and and to blame. Um, yeah. But is that a conscious choice that you've made or, you know, why do you think you haven't, at least from my perspective, kind of fallen into that way of thinking? I, you know, I don't know the answer to that. It may just be a little bit about how I'm wired. Um, I think that the job of complaining about insurance companies is well covered already. <laughs> when I look like I'm on social media, I see, I see all the posts and the complaints and the, we're going to do battle against such and such. And for me, I've just chosen a little bit of a different tact on that. Um, you know, I, there's, there's multiple customers and I know that's a controversial idea, but we have the car owner, we have the insurance company, we have the OE. Um, for me, I have CarStar to report mm -hmm. to as a franchisee. So it feels like you know, I got into this business because I, I didn't want to have a boss. And all of a sudden I feel like there's some days I have five bosses and they're competing with each other for my allegiance and my, my attention. Um, so I just want to kind of say out of the gate, like I'm living in that tension all the time. Um, but I don't think complaining about it is going to do a lot of good. I do think there's room to challenge different ones of those entities, but I think that's best handled kind of like from the, the, the shop to whatever entity that is. Um, and often that is insurance. Um, and I do feel the conflict between wanting to do high quality repairs that can also meet speed guidelines that can also kind of adhere to the OE procedures that we print out on every job. Um, it's a tough, it's a very tough dance. Um, Ultimately, most people go back to the true customer is the car owner. I think that's kind of like standard issue in our industry. So ultimately, I want to do right by them in terms of safety and making sure that they have a great experience while interacting with my business. Um, but there's still all these other voices that are happening. I wish I had a whiteboard right now, but there's, there's this thing in like family psychology. It's called the uh, family systems triangle. And at one point on the triangle would be like the person, another point on the triangle could be call it the insurance company. And the last point on the triangle could be the OE or the manufacturer. The burnout side of the triangle for me, for the, any, any particular shop owner is when they try to manage the relationship between the OE and the insurance. And by the way, this works in 
any relational triangle. I use this in my life all the time. Just you could plot three people or three organizations or three whatever on that triangle. But the burnout side is the side you don't have a direct line to. Mm. You try to live in controlling that side. That's where burnout literally happens. And this goes back, you know, 40 years of uh, family systems research in the psychological field. So this isn't something that I'm just kind of coming up with. It truly like you can trace burnout back to the stress that happens when you're managing things that are outside of your control, essentially. So I just try to do right by my customers at every turn. And again, it is truly a dance that we all just have to try to abide by. Yeah, for sure. And, and you made the comment that like you got into this because you didn't want a boss. Yeah. And a lot of, I mean, that's why a lot of people, yeah, start businesses and feeling like, well, now you have five bosses. But how do you think that people can still feel a sense of control or personal responsibility um, when they might be feeling those pressures? Mm. For me, it goes back to my conscience. Like I need to make sure that I'm repairing cars properly and safely um, and getting people back on the road in a timely, timely manner. If I'm doing that, then I can feel confident that I'm literally doing the best I can with the resources that I have. I think a lot of times these arguments or kind of conflicts that happen on social media, like it's often about like a more idealized or perfected picture. Like um, we're not going to have DRPs because we are anti-insurance and no DRP is ever going to um, never would never allow me to fix cars the way I want to. I have not found that to be true. I think there's more flexibility with many of the DRP programs out there. Um, and I have friends on both sides of that. Um, I can name names. I won't, <laughs> but I think somebody, I will name one name who I think navigates this really, really well. It's Greg Lobsinger. Mm -hmm. uh, he's done a wonderful job of like being very attuned to the customer's needs, quality repairs, OE guidelines, and not feeling overly pressurized by his insurance companies. And he still has some DRPs in his shop. So I think the trouble comes when we get into an either or thinking rather than a both and thinking. So is it possible to do quality repairs and have DRPs? I would argue that it is. Is it challenging? Absolutely. But I don't wanna throw one or the other out. Um, I want to go for both. I want to go for both quality, speed, customer service, working in um, kind of, what's the word, uh, in sync with insurance companies that do have some level of integrity. Is every adjuster created equal within each insurance company? Again, absolutely not. And that's again where the complexity comes in. There's no easy answer here. It's a daily dance that we have to just kind of enter into and go with our conscience at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. We think you did. Do you think this is still a good industry to be in when you when you look at the future of it? Um, and kind of when you look at your career overall, you know, how do you how do you view the collision repair industry? It is a great. I think it's a great industry. I'm still fascinated by this industry. I think uh, that the technology that's emerging 
is is just unbelievably cool and um, the kind of like the electric vehicles um, all the diagnostics that need to happen and all the software all the the, the computerization the technology side of our industry is absolutely fascinating is it something that i personally am prepared to keep learning like every few years there's like this it's not like you learn you know every year you learn a little bit it's more like this exponential it's like it keeps taking off further and further um i don't know that i'm going to be well suited to to do that for the next 15 years of my life however if i were 30 and had the energy and we're starting <laughs> over Sure. I think I would. I think I would do the same thing that I've done. I would grow into this industry and do my best to keep up at every turn with all the emerging technologies. I, I think it's endlessly fascinating. I love the the fact that I get to work with men and women who are literally grinding it out, often in very difficult circumstances, very dusty, lots of fumes, and just working with their hands. I have a deep respect for the craftsmen and craftswomen in our industry. Um, and at the same time, I'm also getting to deal with these billion dollar insurance companies, uh, all in the same, within the same day. It's like the diversity of getting to work with so much, um, so many diverse groups of, of people. Mm. I just find that endlessly fascinating to just have to constantly like be shifting gears. Maybe it plays well into the ADHD of most entrepreneurs, but I think we're kind of like we're wired to get in there and like love the diversity of challenges that can happen. And this industry has plenty of challenges and rewards. Like once again, with my father starting in this industry as of this year, 50 years ago, he taught himself how to fix cars. And now our family has seven shops in our portfolio doing 18, 19 million dollars a year in revenue. And literally started by fixing a friend's Volkswagen when I was two years old in my backyard. And here we are, we're experiencing this wonderful season of prosperity and uh, our whole family's in the business. Uh, we have three generations in the business now with my daughter entering. Um, my son was in for a while and then exited. So I can highly commend this industry to somebody who has the energy to jump in and really learn not just the people side, but the technology side as well. Mm, that's so cool. Gosh, 50 years. That really is quite a milestone. I hope you guys celebrate in some way. Yeah, we're hoping to. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for your time, Kevin. I always like to pick your brain and <laughs> get your perspective on things. Always great to talk to you, Anna. I love it.